Lord, we thank you that you are our solid rock. In these times when it does feel like we're sinking in quicksand, God, we can cling to you, our everlasting, all-powerful, almighty, unchanging God. And we're so grateful, God, that in this moment we're in your presence and that, Lord, we look forward to what you're going to teach us from your word and not just teach us, but the way that you'll transform us, God, by these eternal truths from an unchanging God that desires to change us to be more like you. So, God, we invite that work and ask, God, that you open our hearts, that you quicken our minds, God, and that you bend our wills toward you to invite the change that you want to make inside of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just as the uh, song said, it's nice to know that we have a solid rock in times of change and turmoil. We're not in Kansas anymore, are we? (laughs) I mean, we are in a whirlwind of change. It's crazy. Change, you know, culture is changing so fast. It's it's changing faster than a junior high kid in gym class. I mean, it's just a whirlwind. We're inundated with information and technology. And, you know, it's not just the volume and amount of change that's changing, but even the rate of change. I don't know if you realize this, but at the, at the time of Jesus, all the knowledge that was known in the world, well, that it took until the time of Leonardo da Vinci in 1500 for that knowledge to double. And then it doubled again in 1776 during the American Revolution, and then doubled again in 1950, and then in 1960, and now experts are telling us, believe it or not, that our knowledge is doubling at such a fast rate, it's even more quick than every 18 months. I mean, it's crazy. And you think, you know, for all of this knowledge that we have, that we'd be so smart, right? <laughs> but I'm telling you, anytime I ask someone a question, they always respond with, I don't know, just Google it. You know, it just <laughs> seems to be the answer for everything. Well, all this change, it's overwhelming and it's stressful, isn't it? I mean, just the amount of change we've had in just the last 20 years, it's crazy. You blink and something new appears. My kids have no idea like what a typewriter is or carbon paper, a cassette tape. Sometimes they don't even know what an oven is either. (laughs) I used to think, honestly, that I could teach my kids something. I used to think that. Uh, They have new math now. I can't even help my kids with their homework. I have no idea what's going on anymore. And uh, they have to help me with with my smartphone. You know, I didn't know a phone could make you feel so dumb, you know. How many are you with me on that? Yeah. <laughs> it is crazy. You know, some of these changes, granted, they're really good. And some of them, I'm not so sure. And we can either cry over that or we can laugh about it. And today, I'm choosing to laugh. And so I want to share with you some cartoons that represent our changing culture. Here's our first one. As we said, Christmas looks a little different these days. We used to help our kids with their presents And now we have to ask them to teach us how to work our laptop. Back in 1960, when our kids got bad grades, we blamed our kids. Now we blame their teachers. (laughs) And back in the day, the playgrounds, I remember swing sets. You don't see those very much anymore or slides. But boy, every kid's got their own computer in their bedroom. Yep, back in the day, we (laughs) had skinny people and fat TVs. Uh, 
And uh, I'll let this one speak for itself. There's a whole new phenomenon going on the beaches all across California. <laughs> Too many cell phones. Yeah, well, the world has changed. And it is changing, and it will continue to change. Yet despite all of this, there is something, moreover, there's someone who never changes. And that's our all-knowing, all-powerful, all-sovereign God. Amen? That's right. You see, God never changes. He doesn't need to. He doesn't have to. A.W. Tozer says this, God cannot change for the better since he's perfectly holy. He's never been less holy than he is now. He can never be holier than he is and has always been. All that God is, he's always been. All that he's been, he ever will be. The technical term that we use to describe this unchanging nature of God is that he's immutable. And that's the first thing that you can do. You can fill that in on your outline that's in your message notes there, that God is is unchanging, which means that God is immutable. God's unchanging and perfect nature is a source of comfort and security in these crazy times, this changing culture. As we're pulled apart in different directions and we're trying to figure out which way to go, looking for answers, God is dependable, he's constant, and he's faithful to us in every circumstance. You know, um, I find it kind of sad and also humorous that there are so many that have this argument that Christianity today, it's a faith that's obsolete and doesn't speak to our contemporary progressive society. (laughs) And there's even a lot of shame that's attached to the idea that to believe in God and the Bible is to be simple or to be closed-minded. Well, to this I say that there is absolutely nothing progressive about moral decline There's nothing forward about our sprint away from God, and there's nothing noble about our prideful assault against God and his ways. The greatest step forward that anyone could ever make would be to fall upon their knees, to acknowledge God in all his wonder and holiness, to rent their hearts over their sin, and to ask God for his forgiveness and grace. You know, if we would just honestly allow our soul a moment of just honest breath to walk outside on a black, starry night, to stare up into the canopy of space and to drink deeply of the wonders of creation that exclaim glories to God on high, we desperately need our unchanging God to change us. Today we're going to talk about four ways that God is unchanging and how we're also going to discover how those characteristics of God can change us if we allow them to. So I want to encourage you to grab your Bible if you have one with you. We're going to flip around a lot, so I'm hoping you won't get a paper cut. Um, (laughs) If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay, no problem. Uh, I just encourage you to follow along with the verses on the screen. And then if you don't own a Bible, we really want you to have one you can read at home. So if you head out in the lobby after service, you'll find a bookshelf over there. Go ahead and grab one of those and take it home with you. So here's our first point, and that's this, that God's nature does not change. God's nature never changes. See, we can be sure of who God is. He's described himself in his word, and we can trust and rely on him to be who he says he is. And if you've been here throughout this series knowing 
uh, know God, you can be assured that all of these attributes that we've talked about, they never change. We don't have to worry about them ever going away. God is and always will be our ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful God. He remains the same forever. You see, he was supremely powerful in the moment that he just spoke and the universe came into existence. And in this very moment, even now, he is our all-powerful, almighty God. James 1.17 says this, Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Isn't it true that our, it seems like our contemporary society just ha- doesn't have a lot of tolerance for things that don't change? You know, it's almost like that irritates our current society. And certainly, though, I do believe that there are several things that we all agree we are really happy don't change, like gravity. (laughs) I'm really thankful that gravity doesn't change, or justice. And I really like that the sun comes up every morning. I count on that. I enjoy that. And I am incredibly grateful that God never changes, that he's not some unpredictable, shifty, unreliable God. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, There's something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It's a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with, and in them we feel a kind of self-content and go our way with the thought, Behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. He remains everlastingly, eternally, the one unchanging God, the father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither the shadow of change. Isn't that awesome? You see, since God's nature is unchanging, that makes him reliable and steady and trustworthy. So therefore, I can trust God. You can fill it in. I can trust God. Now, if we were to take a poll, I were to ask you, you know, what is something that you think is one of the most important things that you look for in a relationship? What would you say? Trust. I've heard it. You're whispering, but I hear it. Most of us would say trust. I mean, trust is, is that foundation of every solid relationship. If we don't have trust, we don't have much of anything. And trust is one through stability And reliability through truth and faithfulness. And the unchanging nature of God is the foundation of our belief and our relationship with him. We can trust God. His character is sure. His nature is good. And we can trust that he's going to take care of us. Psalm 125 verses 1 and 2 says this. Those who trust in the Lord are secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated, but they will endure forever. Just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forever. See, when the forecast calls for severe storms, 
Ships need a very solid, sturdy anchor. Buildings need a sure foundation. And trees need a very, what, deep root system. In every case, survival through the storm depends on a strong link to that which cannot be moved. And our anchor in stormy times is our unshakable faith in our unchanging God. When we're fixed to our immovable rock, we cannot be moved. So if you want greater faith to trust God more, let God's unchanging nature change you. Number two, God's character does not change. His character does not change. See, God always acts in accordance with his character. He, wor- he works in harmony with it because it's unchanging. His nature dictates his character. And what he is, he always is. See, he's always wise. God is always good and holy and just. He's always gracious and loving and kind. And in the words of the grand old hymn, God is faithful. Great is your faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father, there's no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Sing with me. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. And up. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Lost it on that high note. (laughs) You know, um, as a dad, honestly, there have been times when <laughs> my children have been unsure. They've, they've come to me in times of frustration or anger or even self-hatred. And there have been times as a husband when I haven't been my best self. And I regret times when I've looked into my children's eyes and seen <clears throat> eyes of fear. And times when I've seen my wife's head lowered in defeat. And I had such... Honestly, an undeserved gift that I have a Savior with unshakable character who gives me full assurance of his forgiveness and his grace and his unconditional love. Hebrews 6, 17 and 18 says this. God also bounds himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge have a great confidence as we hold to the hope that's before us. One of the unfathomable benefits of having a God whose character does not change is not only is God good, but he can't be evil. He can't lie. He can't break his promise. And he can't and won't abandon us. Therefore, I can rest in God's love for me. I can rest in God's love for me. You know, in in times of, of trial or doubt or sin and brokenness, we can wonder, honestly, you know, does does God really love me? Really? Still? God's love is steadfast. It's consistent. It's unchanging. 
Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. So you can wake up in the morning and you can say to yourself with a smile, God loves me. <laughs> he says this to you in Jeremiah 31, 3. He says, I loved you with an everlasting love. We were created to be loved by God. So if you want a deeper contentment and a greater sense of security in your life, allow God's unchanging character to change you. Okay, number three, God's truth does not change. The immutability of God, his unchanging nature, is directly tied to the immutability of God's word. God's word is just that. It's his words. It's his thoughts. It's the expression of his mind and his will. And to reject God's words is to reject God himself. God's word is timeless. And it always is relevant to our culture, to our life, and to our times. Now, there are some out there that claim that the Bible is irrelevant and out of date with science. <laughs> really? You see, the more scientific advances we make, the further we explore the expanse of the universe and its intricacy, the deeper we dive into the mysteries of the cell, we uncover irreducibly complex, interdependent systems which are intelligently and perfectly designed all giving witness to a perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful creator God. Their argument is that all of these immense, complex matter, systems, law, and functions came into being on their own. Poof. And that they perfectly ordered and designed themselves. This is not only statistically impossible, it's not even intellectually honest. The whole reason that we can study science in the first place is the predictability of it all. You see, we're able to study physics and the law of the universe because they don't change. And just as God established physical laws for our universe, he's also established moral and spiritual laws, which are also timeless. We're so quick to accept and even submit ourselves to the physical laws of the universe, and yet we reject the moral authority law of God. And why is this? It's because of our pride. If you were to go back, say, 30 years, and look through the scientific journals, the psychological journals of 20, 30 years ago, you honestly would find dozens and dozens of asserted theories that we don't even believe anymore. And these were the same things that they would use to say and make claims that the Bible was out of date. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. God's word stands forever. And then we hear arguments that 
you know, people make from the Old Testament that say the Bible's out of date. And they use examples kind of like, well, you know, they said don't eat shellfish. Well, we eat crab now. And what's the big deal? You, it's, there's talk about you're not supposed to shave your, your sideburns. And what about that animal sacrifice stuff? I mean, doesn't that prove that we've gone way past all that old Bible stuff that was written thousands of years ago? We're moving forward. Is that the big gotcha? <laughs> Well, what that actually is, is ignorance about the Mosaic law. You see, the Bible's clear that there are different parts of the Mosaic law used for different purposes in the lives of the Jewish people of that day. And we talked about this a little bit in our series on Galatians. The Old Testament Mosaic law included civil laws, and these civil laws were used to set the Jewish people apart from their pagan neighbors. They included ceremonial laws, including the sacrificial system, which was used by God to help the people recognize that they had sin (laughs) and also that they needed atonement for that sin, which foreshadowed the work of Christ. And you see these civil and ceremonial laws were unique to Israel, were meant to prepare them for their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when he came, fulfilled these laws through his death on the cross. And they're no longer applied to those of us who receive salvation by grace through Christ. And this is all explained in Romans 6, Romans 7, Galatians 3, and the book of Hebrews. But what has remained from the very beginning and remains today is the moral law of God. This is the part of the Old Testament law that reflects the morality and character of God and speaks of relationships and conduct. It's an eternal standard to help guide and direct the behavior and character of God's people. And today this is accomplished as we surrender to the Holy Spirit, which God gives to us when we believe in Jesus Christ. And it's God's word that the Spirit uses to change us. Therefore, I can build my life on God's word. I can build my life on God's word. We all need a solid foundation to build our life on. So when my um, kids were little, you know, we had a neighbor and this neighbor had a playhouse and they weren't going to use it anymore. And they say, hey, do you want the playhouse? You can have it. And I said, sure. So I went over to their house and I deconstructed the playhouse and I brought it back over to our house and I started putting together in our backyard. And I noticed as I was doing this that the foundation boards, um, they were kind of a little bit infested with termites. And I thought to myself, that's not so bad. And I continued building the playhouse. No, I didn't. I did not do that. I got rid of all the bad wood and I rebuilt the entire floor with brand new solid foundation. Otherwise, honestly, that little playhouse would have turned into a house of horrors. My kids would have fallen in on them. They went, hey! I mean, it could have gone from playhouse to horror house to doghouse really quick right there. A foundation holds everything else together. You see, and when we build our life, On God's word, you live in God's will and blessing. God's will and way for your life is better than any other way you could live. God is all-knowing, and he is wise. And living by his word orders your life, and it also helps, gives you assurance in times of adversity and trial. Jesus told this story in Matthew 7, 24 to 27 that illustrates this. Jesus said, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it 
is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood rivers rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You see, when we live biblically, most of these tough choices that we wrestle with in life, <laughs> they're made for us. There's such a beauty and a sweet simplicity in just doing what God tells us to do and honoring him. Our respect, self-respect is higher. Our relationships are sweeter and our integrity is strong. And we become lights in a very dark world. You see, people who trust God's word should be people whose word can be trusted. So if you want more stability in your life, spend plenty of time in God's word, memorizing it, filling your mind and heart with it, and then most importantly, submitting to it. You see, because if we just read the Bible, you're going to get information. But when you submit to the Bible, you will get transformation. And so allow God's unchanging truth to change you. Last, number four, God's plans do not change. God's plans do not change. I think we can all um, relate to times when we've made plans that we thought were really wise with the information that we had at the moment, right? Have you ever had an experience like that? Did you know that one time I had planned to draw birds for a living? It's true. I mean, I was only eight years old, but still, I'm not so sure that would have been a great occupation for me. I think we'd have been eating birdseed for dinner. Fortunately, God had another plan, and God's plans are always based on his perfect knowledge and his wisdom. We don't always agree with God's plans, but I would argue that we can always trust him. Even when we can't see God's hand, we can trust God's heart. God's plans are perfect and they're everlasting. Psalm 33, 11 says, But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. So here's something I really want us to just kind of chew on, think about for a little bit. What is God's greatest plan? What's his passion? Wouldn't it be what he gave his life for? The salvation of mankind? <laughs> Could there be a more noble work? A more worthy cause to give our lives to? Is there any greater purpose for our life? God's plans do not change. It's the supreme plan. His greatest plan. And that plan... <laughs> is that you can be saved and have a nice life and go to heaven. Well, maybe that's part of it. But is that really God's grandest plan and purpose for your life? See, Jesus died for our sin, paid the ultimate sacrifice, gave us grace when we didn't deserve it, and then he put his spirit in us, the Holy Spirit, 
lives in our life. We're adopted into his family, and he entrusts us so that we can bring his life and his hope and his message to our world. He gave us his plan. We are his plan. And so our job is to embrace this plan and to be obedient to fulfill our God-given purpose in this world, to be his ambassadors. The internal purpose of God is a call to action. Therefore, I can pursue God's purpose for my life. And I think that many of us, and often myself, get tripped up in this race of life and we kind of stumble with low self-worth or crumble to the ground in defeat and worthlessness and we lose sight of the great purpose that God's given us. And we need a grander vision of what makes our life count. We need to pick ourselves up and focus on the finish line of fulfilling God's call and plan for our lives. And we can trust everything else that we have in front of us, we trust it all to him. Because from the beginning to end, God's plan will not fail. And I love this assurance in Romans 8, 28 to 30. Look at this plan for our life. We know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them. He gave them right standing with himself. And then having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. God's plan is sure. We are assured of his blessings and life eternal with him. And it's also a clarion call to put the first things first and to join in God's great plan of spreading the gospel across the world and even just next door in our neighborhood. And last, it's also a warning. It's a sober warning that God is sure to fulfill his word regarding judgment for sin. And some of us need to hear that. If you want your life to matter, to have significance and meaning, allow the unchanging purpose of God to change you. God's unchanging in his nature. He's unchanging in his character, unchanging in his truth, and unchanging in his plans. His unchanging nature changed a timid Moses into a fearless champion. It changed a boy David into a man of God. It changed the prostitute Rahab into a princess, into an heir of God's richness. And it changed the persecutor Paul into a proclaimer of the gospel. And if this is the same God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of David, the God of Ruth. If that's our God and he made all those changes in those people, then my question is, what does God want to do in your life? What changes does he want to make in you? Let's pray. Lord God, we're just uh, <laughs> amazed 
at who you are. We thank you that you are an almighty, everlasting, all-present, perfect, and holy God. And we're just so grateful, God, to know you. And, and we pray and ask that you open our hearts, that you would transform and change us, God. And the, those of us that are here and we realize, God, that we don't know you, help us to remember, God, that your views towards sin have never changed, but your views toward the sinner have never changed. And just as at the cross, you open wide your arms in order to receive those who are separated and broken by sin, to receive them to yourself and to adopt them into your family, that those arms are open now. And that all that any would need to do is, again, to admit that they are broken, that they need you, and to ask you to be Lord and King of their life, to forgive them of their sin. And we believe, God, that a great change would take place. Help us all, God, to remember who you are. Invite the change that you want to make in our lives so that we could become more and more mirrors of Jesus Christ in our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.